This is the Cole Memo. I am your host, Cole Preston. Every episode is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the transcript, audio, or video version of any episode that you're listening to, please refer to the description of that episode. Within that description, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for this episode and the platforms where you can find this episode in audio or video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're listening from, please simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. You can find the corresponding episode from there, and then you'll be able to access the audio, video, and transcript versions of the podcast. You might also find any links that we reference during the episode so that you might be able to do your own research. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to colememo.com slash Patreon. Once again, that's colememo.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's a great way to support our show. One of the best ways to support our show is absolutely free. Leave us a positive review from wherever you're listening to us from. Favorite this episode. Give it a thumbs up. Leave a comment or post a review. Please subscribe to our podcast if you're able. Your engagement and support is appreciated. Enjoy this episode of The Cole Memo. Today is October 24th, 2023, and it looks like I recorded this podcast with today's guest on October 18th, 2023. Enjoy the episode. Well, I'm going to pour up here. Let's see if I can get the uh, crack of my can. Todd, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce folks, uh, introduce yourself to folks who may have missed your first appearance on the Cole Memo. Uh, So for any of you who missed the first uh, appearance, I'm Todd Harris. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Plift, and I'm a co-founder and chief growth officer at Perfectly Dosed, which produces water-soluble liquid emulsions for the minor cannabinoids. So Plift, you see it? Yep. It's actually, uh, in, it's infused with um, perfectly dosed emulsion, so. Okay, cool. I always wondered about the tie between that because I've heard Glenn say the perfectly dosed thing and I, I didn't know if it was like a totally separate thing or what, so. It is a totally separate thing. And we actually, through the process of building Plift and getting it to market, one of the biggest challenges we faced was finding a reputable supplier for water soluble emulsion and, and we actually had a supplier we were using and there they weren't doing any microbial testing or any bacterial testing and it was causing our drink to ferment so we did some research and at the time we couldn't find anyone um, who did um, water soluble liquid for the minor cannabinoids and we, we, we asked some of our friends in the regulated the, the license markets if they knew anyone um, and they didn't. And so Glenn and I said, well, let's solve this problem for ourselves. Uh, and throughout that process, we said, well, we can't be the only ones facing this challenge. So let's make the product, you know, the ingredient 
readily available, accessible, and, and cost affordably so anyone who wants to get into this, the game can get into the game. Nice. And before we get too much further, I mean, people can look up Plift, P-L-I-F-T, um, yeah. but, you know, just generally speaking, how would they find you online? Um, they can find us at drink Plift on all the socials, Plift.com, um, for, you know, the traditional web and e-com channel. Uh, and then, you know, a bar, restaurant, coffee shop, somewhere near you, depending upon where you live. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. That's what's so cool about these drinks is that maybe we can start here they are legal to be sold, uh, you know, in everywhere because they're hemp. Yeah, correct. Yeah. We, when we launched a company, um, we looked long and hard at trying to make the numbers work in the licensed market. We actually had found a co-manufacturer and a part and partners in Colorado to help get us to market. But what we realized as we continue to look at the business plan and the business model is, in order for us to be anywhere near profitable, we were going to have to sell way, 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 way more Pliff than it would have taken a long time for us to get to profitability. But we quickly realized, well, not quickly, but as we did some more analysis, we saw that hemp provided us with quicker access to market, um, but also a much more scalable traditional business model. And that scalability not only helped us, like I said, get to market sooner get into retail and into consumers' hands sooner. Um, but it also helps us live in our mission of creating accessibility to the plant. Um, and how it does that is hemp is far more resilient. It's easier to grow and process. Um, it's more abundant. And therefore, um, you know, simple commodities makes it less expensive. And, and so we can pass that savings on to the end consumer, which ultimately is, is the goal here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, do you mind before we get into, you know, things we've talked about in the past and maybe what the future might look like, do you mind just telling uh, us a little bit more? I, I have a, a loose awareness of the story, but I don't want to yeah. try and recap it myself. I want to give you the space for that. Yeah, that's a, I appreciate that, Cole. So the, the company was born for me and my partner, Glenn. We, we, we saw a couple of things happening around us. And, you know, I believe in serendipity and things happening for a reason. And, you know, a couple of interesting things were going on in the world. You know, one is what we all can see is this rise of, of non-alcoholic and, and alternative products to, to drink, you know, this non-alcoholic movement, this, you know, Cali sober, whatever you want to call it. This thing has been gaining traction for years, right? So there was that. There was the the fact that you know, in my community where I live, I, I started to do some just like lightweight social um, polling of people. And what I realized is that a couple of things. One, um, so many middle-aged women in particular would be picking their kids up from school. But prior to doing that, they would take a nibble of a 10 milligram gummy. And the, the, the reason we, we learned is they wanted to unwind. They wanted to take the edge off before kids came home from school. And so as I started to dig a little deeper, I'm like, well, that's not a super predictable way because you're trying to get two and a half milligrams. You're taking a nibble. You, you know, we all know that that gummy, that 10 milligram gummy might have all 10, 10 milligrams in that one nibble, fit, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before it takes effect. I said, that's just not a super predictable way 
for people to consume. And so what happens is people consume and they have a bad experience. And so Glenn and I were like, well, what happens if we completely change the experience, right? And then we looked at just like the social cueing of what was happening in the world, back to that NA movement. We knew that cannabis and, and marijuana, hemp, these, these worlds were all colliding and the destigmatization and the normalization of the plant was going to create room and space for more social ways for consumption, right? You and I are, you know, you're smoking a joint right now. We're both drinking a pliff. But the reality of it is, is that traditionally smoking a joint is not super social unless you're around people that smoke. Taking a gummy is not social at all because you take it, you buy yourself, and then all of a sudden you're high by yourself. And so we knew that the social climate was going to change around how to consume it. And so we wanted to put a liquid in a can. The last and probably the most personal reason is the, because alcoholism runs really deep in my family. Um, my mom is an alcoholic. I love her to death. She's an amazing mom. She's coming to visit tomorrow. Shout out mom. My dad died. And when he died, he died an alcoholic. He didn't die from alcohol, but he died an alcoholic. My sister struggles with it. I struggle with it. My nephew struggle with it. It's, it's in our genes. And so part of the mission of this company is, finding ways for people to unwind that don't require them to have alcohol, right? People don't drink because, well, most people don't drink because they love the taste. They drink because they want to feel something or they want it. Or they don't want to feel something. And so we're like, well, let's be a, a, a reasonable and a better for you substitute. Right. And the last bit to that Cole comes from me being a black man in this world. You know, the, the, what Glenn and I have noticed and what the world notices is that, you know, this, this, this path to legalization of cannabis and marijuana is leaving people of color in the, behind. Whether people want to admit it or not, social equity doesn't exist in the licensed markets today. And, you know, seldom do you see a dispensary pop up in the neighborhoods most impacted by the war on drugs. And if they do pop up, they're not accessible to that community because the prices are so high that I can't afford it. And so, you know, in, in a lot of communities on the south side or on the west side, it's easier for you to get a bottle of booze than it is for you to get a square meal. And so we said, like, let's be this, 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 you know, pioneer and make cannabis so accessible that any convenience store, any liquor store, any drug store, any grocery store can have access to it. And that means anyone in those communities can have access to it. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, thank you. Yeah. For, for breaking that down. And, you know, just for clarity, I'm looking at your can here, you know, are, are you guys based out of Chicago or are you, is your home base Minnesota or is it both? Noble Brands Inc. is based and headquartered out of Chicago. Okay. We've got, we've got a, an office and a presence in, in um, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. We have, we, we are actively selling in eight States currently. So oh. You know, but, but but Chicago is home base to us. We founded the company there, and we we always wanted to be there in a big way. Uh, and until more recently, um, it's been it's been a, a more difficult market to penetrate. But but you know, Glenn and I agree that it is a it is a beachhead opportunity for us, and we're spending a lot of time making sure that we that we do do the market right and do the people in the market right. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I wanted to just give you an example. I've already told Glenn this, and I've already shared this on my uh, former show, The Chillinois Podcast. So I promise I'm not telling you this story to try to help to sell your brand or anything else. It's more about the cannabis drink format. It just so happened mm -hmm. that the drink that I happened to have was a plift. So 
I went to a Labor Day holiday with my family and I would like if you would have told me this, Todd, or anybody else that I would have been able to convince my fucking grandma and my aunt to take a sip of this drink or a, a, a sample of anything cannabis related. I would have said, I want whatever you're smoking on because that's never going to fucking happen. Like, I don't you're high as fuck. That happened, though. And, you know, they, they just had a sip. So it's not like they felt anything yeah, they getting, from they, it yeah they weren't getting enough to feel it but but that's almost good because then they know now it's like okay i can take a sip and i don't go out of my fucking mind so what's two more sips or what's three more sips, sips feel like it's approachable yeah it's approachable thank you i could never never get them to be well just take a little hit because it's so hard to dose yeah. this out yeah absolutely so it's interesting that you say this because you know when i when when we started this business and i was telling my mom about it She's she's always the number one cheerleader, but she still like really was like trying to figure out like she was never a cannabis user. So this was all new to her. And, but I would let her sample it and I would let her try it and this, that and the other. And um, fast forward to where she is, where we are today. You know, she's been alcohol free for like six or eight weeks now. And she drinks two cliffs a night and that's it. Nice, dude. Nice. Yeah. And I, I mean... I had my friend, he, he smokes, he used to smoke a lot, just, just as much as I do. And nowadays he's slowed down a bit. So I gave him a few of these just to like, see like, what, what does it feel like from a person that doesn't have as high of a tolerance for me? And that's going to be one of my questions later, you know, will there ever be a higher dose plift? But, um, yeah, he says he can feel these and it's so much more, it's like alcohol in the sense that like you feel it within 10, 15 minutes sometimes, and you can gauge from there. You can almost titrate your dose. And that's why I do think the drink format is going to be popular. Like you said, also the added fact of, frankly, Todd, even if I hang out with people that are like cool with pot, like there's always somebody that's like, God, that stuff stinks, you know? And so if I'm drinking, and see, and like, I love, and I love the smell. I do too. Pot. Like when I, when right. I travel to cities that have MedRec programs and it's just in the air, I love it. But Same. I know a lot of people don't. And so, right. you know, I mean, what, what you're saying is like, how do, how do we keep create this inclusive circle? Like we want to open up the circle. Right. Right. Exactly, dude. Exactly. So anyways, again, I don't bring that up. I mean, it just so happens it was a plift, but that was a cool like little experiment I was able to conduct myself that I didn't think anybody was going to take a sip off of it. And, and they did because it wasn't as intimidating, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's nailing it, right? It's like, there, there's a su subset of the population you've probably heard that you know we refer to them a lot it's the can of curious yeah the people who had an experience a while ago or maybe have never experienced it but are interested but don't mm -hmm. don't know how to approach it right like to your point having a 10 milligram gummy your first ever time is like it's probably going to leave you feeling shitty right <laughs> smoking a full joint by yourself could leave you in a, a, a state that you regret that Right. So where do we find a space where with a brand that's, you know, well-crafted and, and, and approachable and, and feels like a normalized can of name that sparkling water or name that seltzer or name that kombucha or whatever you're going to drink. And it gives you, you know, that light, heady buzz after one can, two cans, you're going to feel a bigger buzz, three cans, depending on your tolerance, you're going to be high. I mean, that's 12 milligrams of THC, mm -hmm. right? But it doesn't all hit you at once. You get to gradually, you know, gradually progress into that high and into that buzz. And it's, you know, it's all about meeting consumers where they are right in their journey with cannabis. So yeah, speaking of that, 
uh, since I brought it up and you're talking about meeting people where they are, do you ever have plans? I've started to see other drinks come on the market. Like I saw a 75 milligram one the other day and I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Do you have any plans? Like so that? <laughs> we're not going to do, we have zero desire to do high, high potency stuff like that. Not because we don't think there's a place in the market for it. It's just not, you know, core to our brand and our company. Right. However, I remember you asking distinctly a few weeks ago if we're ever going to do a higher dose Cliff, and the answer is yes. Cliff Plus is 10 milligrams and an eight ounce can and it's coming to the market in the next couple of weeks. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's already in development. So yeah, like, I mean, and we want to, we want to create products that are for the people, right? Like we listen to consumers and we listen to our, our customers and our friends in the community and what they want. We try to deliver on, right. You know, best tasting, most functional for them in their life and meeting them as consumers where they are, right? Like me and Glenn talk about all the time. We'll probably be Cliff Plus guys, right? Like that's who we are. Yeah. Like we're Cliff regular guys because we love the way they taste. But if I can get it done, you know, in three cans, what I would take like six cans to do, why wouldn't I? You know what I mean? Right. But but there's there's a consumer where, you know, when I'm going to a barbecue, I'm still going to grab a six pack of four milligram Cliffs. Why? Because it's approachable for everyone at the barbecue. And if I'm at the barbecue for a few hours, like that's a way better way for me to, to consume than just taking, you know, 10 milligram bombs of the face. Hell yeah. Yeah. I feel you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I realize 75 milligrams might be a little much. So, but yeah, maybe like a 25 or a 50. I don't know. That'd be interesting in the future. You know what I mean? Of yeah, cliff, I mean, and we, plus plus <laughs> super plus. Yeah, I mean, super plus. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we have it's funny. Glenn and I spend a lot of time talking about what should be next um, because we always want to be iterating and we always want to be, in a, you know, innovative and, and, and a little bit ahead. Um, so we talk about what form factors um, we should we should consider. Right. And And again, like, I don't know if I don't know if a, you know, 25 milligram is in the card trust. But there's definitely going to be other form factors that when people see them come to market, they're going to say, that's a great use case. And I can see, I can see myself using that product for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sweet dude that I'm looking forward to uh, new stuff from Plift. And uh, I guess just my, my last question just about product lines and everything else before we just get to, you know, some, some of the more fun topics to chop up um, yeah. the incredibly, what is it? Incredibly dosed. Is that what it was called? Perfectly dosed. Perfectly dosed. Sorry. Perfectly. Dosed. No, it's all good. Um, is that what, like, are, am I able to, how is that sold or is it just sold in the Plifts? Am I misunderstanding? Um, no, perfectly dosed is so so perfectly dosed.com. Okay. We, you know, we have a website. We, you know, most of the sales is B2B. Like we don't do B2C right now. Like there's no, you can go on there and buy a tincture of our of our product. It goes to, you know, product manufacturers um, who want to build really delicious, stable consumables um, for, for, for their own customers, right? So we don't, you know, again, it's like the, the purpose of this is to, you know, price this ingredient so that anyone can engage and, um, you know, you can test it and you can iterate and things like that. So we do, you know, we've got some some breweries around the country and some distillers around the country um, that are currently and actively using uh, mm -hmm. the product um, in their in their consumables. We've got a, a, 
couple of people who make, you know, really delicious edibles and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's meant to be for creators and makers. Um, and we do specific, you know, price discounting for BIPOC women owned and underrepresented people who want to get in the game. So we, we do some discounting for them on their, on their orders. Yeah. Well, Hey, I think I just found the product for me. Um, I was looking at your yeah, the gallons. gallons. Yeah. <laughs> what? So tell hey. me about this. What is, what, what is like, if I buy this, what am I getting? A gallon of a gallon what? Of pure hemp drive Delta nine THC, <laughs> like, like 90 plus percent THC. Wow. Cool. So the, see, this is what I'm looking for. I want to be able to like make my own drinks, mix my own drinks. Yeah. So yeah. So that's like, that is the impotence of it. Right. So like a, this gallon would go to someone who's doing a high batch, uh-huh. um, uh, you know, like, like batching out drinks, like, like for instance, Plift would buy, you know, we buy it from, we buy it in kilos. So that's, uh, you know, that's the reality of it is that it's for sure. people who are makers and want to make, but if you want to like, for instance, one of our small tinctures with a dropper, you know, one dropper of a tincture from us is roughly 40 milligrams of THC Ooh, or maybe more, maybe a hundred. Glenn, Glenn knows the math. Like Glenn did the math one time and I was like, wait, what? So yeah, we, yeah. we have these little droppers that we send to samples to, to potential clients and partners. And I think one full drop of that's like between 50 and hundred milligrams. <laughs> See, I think I'm going to buy this product because the reason I was where I was coming from with that other question is like, there's no, like, you know, like sometimes I go to the store and I buy like a concentrated liquor. And I know we were just talking about alcoholism yeah. and such. So, you know, I'm trying to be sensitive to that, but, but just being honest, like, you know, I'll mix that into a little bit of Coke and I don't drink the whole bottle in like, a, it takes me like a few months sometimes to get through a whole yeah. bottle. So that's kind of like my, I'm like looking for that equivalent with, with this. And I think I just found it. This would be it. Yeah. yeah. This would be it. Right. Like, you know, and, we, we say this a lot internally and, and with our partners, both around Plift consumption, as well as like perfectly dose is like, choose your own adventure. You know, everyone yes. has their own relationship with THC and cannabis. And like, we want to honor that. And so for someone like you who wants a, you know, a tincture of, you know, Delta nine THC, cause you want to take a drop and put it in your Gatorade bottle on your way to work or whatever, like have at it. You know, I mean, that's up to you to decide how you want to consume it and what's right for you. That's so fucking cool, dude. I'm literally texting a friend about it now because we, we've been looking for this. So you might see a few orders come in from Illinois. Um, but anyways, um, I'm just curious, you know, it's been a while since we've met. I'm sure you've thought about uh, the discussion we've had, and I'm sure the discussion has continued in many ways for you, you know, like it's an, it seems like it's a nonstop battle. I'm constantly reading about proposed ordinances here at local levels and stuff. People just really want to crack down on hemp. And from my perspective, embrace, it seems like some drug war era tactics. Um, I'm just curious, you know, you've had some time to reflect. I want to, you know, there was a lot of fucking people talking last time. And if anybody's tuning in that yeah. that was on the panel and wants this type of space, just reach out. Uh, Todd can probably vouch for how easy it was to get on. So, um, but Todd, I yeah. want to give you the space, uh, you know, not necessarily just about the yeah. debate itself, but just the entire topic in general. Yeah. Where, where do you stand on this and what should people know about oh. hemp-derived cannabinoids? Well, first of all, I pre- yeah, first of all, I appreciate it. 
uh, you create the space and in, in, in setting up that that uh, last you know podcast with that, with that group of folks and that debate. Um, I want to say thank you to all those people. I respect their opinion. Um, I respect healthy debate. I mean, frankly, we live in a world right now where healthy debate and discourse is unheard of. Um, and you, you you can't get to consensus without having different opinions and working towards them. So I appreciate and respect everyone that was on that. Um, you know, where I stand and where I'll continue to stand, coming from someone who tried to launch in the licensed markets. And I was, I was using an asset, Glenn and I were using an asset light model. We were going to, you know, be on top of someone else's license producing. But for someone who tried that, couldn't find funding, couldn't find retail support. And, and by the way, like my background is I've been building brands and bringing them to market for 20 years. I did cultural strategy at New Balance. I did cultural strategy at Wendy's. I was director of strategy and innovation. And I worked on Gatorade. Like I know how to build brands and I know how to run businesses. And for someone with mine and Glenn's pedigree together who couldn't find funding, who couldn't find retail support, which, you know, some of the biggest MSOs in the country told us they couldn't find black founded brands that they could back. And I said, you're looking at one, right? That is a dead end street. And I, and I, I firmly believe that, that, that federal legalization should happen. Decriminalization of this plan should happen. Like people should be let out of jail. They should have a right to play in the industry. All that should happen. Like that's table stakes. But when we talk about opportunity to build real equity, which everyone's, everyone always wants to talk about equity, 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 there's no more equitable way than doing it via, via hemp. Again, grows outside in the elements, can live off rainwater, weed resilient, bug resistant, all these things, right? Doesn't take, you know, hydroponics, indoor grow, water facilities, all these things to keep it healthy and well, like it can grow, right? The plant matter itself can obviously be used for the Delta 9 THC, Delta 8, you know, Delta 10, but it also has other minor cannabinoids with massive amounts of benefits. CBD, we all know about CBG, which is a natural stimulant, CBN, which helps you sleep, right? Those things don't come in marijuana. So if we want to talk about accessibility and equity, that's the way to do it. Because a lot of people want to get in the game, but they don't want to get in it for the psychoactive effects. They want to get in it for the therapeutic effects, right? So, so like I, I get, I, I get exhausted by this equity conversation with people that frankly are like wind up dolls. Who get a who, who get a you know a a, a, a spiel and a and a a you know um a a what am I trying to say here like a a, a talking points a, bu a bullet list of what to say and that's all they say but they they they've never really lived in this industry right I just was reading an article today I mean it's not related to Illinois but it is in Minnesota right where Glenn and I were super active around the most recent legalization and the bill of that, that um, legalized recreational, but also codified hemp and low potency um, THC derived from hemp as a, you know, readily available and accessible. The article basically said that the first license, the first bit of, of progress was given to an out-of-state corporate cannabis guy. He's, he's, he's building a huge manufacturing and processing facility on Native American land. And I said, some of us told y'all this is exactly what's gonna happen. Cause that's exactly what's gonna happen. And every state that has legalized, you know, the, 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 the med rec license market, none of them have an equitable market, even though they've all preached that they're gonna be the most equitable market, right? 
less than 2% of all cannabis um, business ownership is owned by black, brown, and underrepresented people. So where, where we were two weeks ago on that, on that, that pod and that call, I stand firmly in that same position that equity stomping out and, and trying to push hemp out because corporate cannabis interests, that's what they want. They don't want competition. That's not what's going to raise the equitable tie. Letting more people in, letting more people have a seat at the table is what raises the equitable tie. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to agree on that. I mean, I've big time proponent of, uh, open licensing, you know, um, the idea that, uh, I mean, I just view limitations for the, for the most part as equivalent to the continued criminalization of cannabis, because that is of the course. mechanism of enforcement. Of course. Well, I mean, and if you look around, Cole, if you don't have to look very far to see who the license holders are, right? And you don't have to look very far to see, even if you win a social equity license, what they don't tell you is it costs, you know, millions of dollars to actually uh, stand up a business and operate that license. Most of these license winners don't have that type of equity. You can't get traditional banking or financing in the, you know, the license markets because it's still a schedule one. And so what does that mean? They can't ever operate that license. So who, what happens? Corporate cannabis, and this is every state. This is not Illinois exclusive. This is every single state. Corporate cannabis comes in and offers that black, brown, underrepresented person on the South side, offers them a million bucks for the license. They way underpay them for that asset. But to, to that person in the hood who comes from nothing, that million dollars is a million dollars. That's real money. So they right. sell that license to the corporate guy. And guess what? He just picked up an asset worth $10 million for a million dollars. He flips it. And now he owns the market. That's what happens in every state. In hemp, it's hard to do that because hemp, again, it's readily accessible. It's federally legal. Yeah. It's, it, it's all these things, right? So, mm -hmm. so when you get to us hemp operators who are operating successful businesses and growing businesses and employing people of color, employing women, um, you know, helping provide opportunities and incubating small black owned brands, which me and Glenn do all over the country. You know what we do? We want, we applaud, we implore for reasonable regulatory environments, testing, packaging, labeling requirements. We want that because that means that the, 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 the best and the brightest and the creme de la creme will rise to the top and continue to operate. Those who are shady characters and, and, and want to break the rules and want to operate in the darkness, they, they naturally get pushed out and we're okay with that. We want people to be safe. We yeah. want people to, to have access, but we don't want, we don't want access at the behest of safety. That's not who we are, but that's the picture that's painted of hemp, hemp operators is that they don't, they just want, you know, the wild west and they don't want any rules. They don't want any rags. They just want whatever. Like that's fundamentally not true. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to talk about today that I like to to speak about with people that like you're definitely going to be very refined in this, but this is more for our listeners. So behind me right now, I'll briefly allow you to see my blurred background. You'll be able to see uh, um, grow tents. See these black yeah. shades behind yeah. me. They're yeah. grow tents. And right now, you know, there's three plants in them and uh, – Currently, because they're in uh, veg, they have less than 0.3% THC in them, and so they're hemp. 
Yep. And I like to explain it this way for people because when I flip my light schedule, when I change my light schedule, which I'm about to do, so the lights are on 18 hours a day, I'm going to change it so that they're just on 12 hours a day. And what that's going to do is the plant is going to think, oh my God, it's it's fall. I need to start like getting ready to pass on my genetics, yep. right? In other words, you express know, myself. Express myself. Thank you. And, mm-hmm. um, the plant goes into flower. And at a certain point, if you're doing it right, the THC levels will probably exceed 0.3%. And then the hemp uh, is known as a different legal term. So hemp is a legal term, folks. The plant is called cannabis. Cannabis sativa L. Cannabis sativa L. Thank you. And um, yeah, so hemp is a legal term. And at a certain point, it legally changes its identity. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's it's almost like uh, back in the day when people would uh, argue against, I know this is going to sound like a complete tangent, but hold on with me here. Um, when people would argue against like abortion, they would say like, it starts at the moment of conception. In other words, before you even put your socks back on and fucking spark up a cigarette, there's a third person in the room. It's like, okay, I don't <laughs> think that... <laughs> I don't think that that's how it works, right? <laughs> um, but yeah. anyway, so it's funny because in in this instance, legally, there's a certain point behind in the pl- the tense behind me that the plants change their legal definition. Isn't, isn't that hilarious? Like, I, all of a sudden, yeah, they, yeah, it's like it's like you are a child, and well, it's this is exactly the analogy. You're a child, then you become a teenager, and then you can drive, and then from a teenager, once you become an adult, you can vote. And then when you become an adult adult, you can drink, right? Like it's basically that same metamorphosis, but nothing has changed. You're still the same person, right? That plant becomes marijuana in a few weeks. Yeah. And so the reason I even started with that example is because like, I feel like maybe I misunderstood something you said earlier because THCV, for example, you're right. It's mainly derived from hemp. And in fact, somebody just posted, I was trying to find the post the other day. If you see me looking over here. I can't find the post right now, but I'll find it here in a second. Somebody was posting, they found THCV in an Illinois dispensary and they're like, what's up with this? And I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's hemp derived because they're allowed to sell hemp derived products in Illinois dispensaries. So I guess my point is when you said that earlier, I feel like it could have confused people. I completely agreed with what you were, what you were saying, but you said uh, THCV comes from hemp and people that grow marijuana can't get that. And it's like, but hold on a second. It's all cannabis. So they probably could. They just choose not to. Yeah. You know? Well, so, so yeah. So there, there's an extraction process, right? And yeah. when you extract from the plant, you can ex- extract cannabinoids, right? Mm-hmm. However, cannabinoids are more bountiful. The only cannabinoid that's bountiful in marijuana is THC, Delta 9 THC, that's the, 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 the psychoactive component that gets you high, right? Whereas in, hemp it's much well i shouldn't say the only there are trace amounts in marijuana but to your point when that when that plant flips its identity from hemp to marijuana the cannabinoid profiles change and one becomes the the dominant cannabinoid profile which is thc in marijuana right whereas in hemp that cannabinoid profile of minor minor cannabinoids so that's the cbg the cbd the delta you know the 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 cbd uh cbn Delta 9 THC, Delta 8 THC, like they all live in that plant and then they just need to simply be extracted. Gotcha. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just like to explain it that way because I feel like when you when you break it down like that, then people that are arguing for crackdowns on this, it makes their case seem even more absurd, you know? Yeah, of course. And it's you, like, you, 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 and it really does spite your face at that point. Yeah, and it really does become a debate about as you were kind of alluding to earlier, and we really got into it, even though it seemed like we were like it's like we were circling the drain on it. And then finally I was like, this is a debate about limited licenses, isn't it? And I mean, that's really what it is because. Well, I know. Yeah. Cause that's exactly what it is. Yeah. They said that to, to put a quote, I don't remember who exactly said it, but it was basically a sentiment that if they were to just kind of allow anybody and everybody, then it would damage their market share and market share is a key component of social equity as they see it. In other words, limited licenses is the foundation of uh, social equity, at least as we yeah, know. But we all know. Yeah, but we all know limited license is never the foundation of anything equitable, because you're you're all the second you have a limited number of anything, you're disallowing and disassociating and disincluding people who have a right to the table, right? And so what they, what they're really saying when they say limited license hinders our ability is the more licenses dilutes our ability. It's like you know here's the analogy I, I give. If, I, if you opened a restaurant and you applied for a liquor license, they'd give you one. Right. If I opened a restaurant across the street and applied for a liquor license, guess what? They'd probably give me one, right? Unless there was some extenuating circumstance that preclude them to giving me one, right? You don't get to decide if I get a liquor license and I don't get to decide if you get a liquor license. Why should this be any different? And can I, can I right? continue your analogy? Like the point that I sure. think we both agree on on this, like, if I did it, let's say you got the liquor license and I didn't, and I just started like serving up liquor and like, you know, and then uh, somebody stops by and they're like, hey, you don't have a liquor license. What the fuck's going on with this? And I could probably receive a pretty hefty citation for that. But guess what? It doesn't involve me going to jail. And that's why I was saying earlier, uh, the main enforcement mechanism, it seems, of this limited license system is the continuation of the drug war. So if so, in other words, these mm -hmm. people that are advocating for this system, I, I don't know if they realize it, but they are advocating for the continuation of the drug war because that is the mechanism in which we enforce this system. I, I spoke to criminal defense attorneys that are renowned in criminal law, and they're pretty known for representing people uh, in Illinois, and they continue to uh, have to defend individuals against uh cannabis related crimes in fact we just had somebody on the chillinois podcast it's it's their mom because the kid is in jail for a cannabis related infraction he's actually going to be one of the first people to call me from prison uh, mm. if, if everything works out he's serving in illinois for a cannabis related infraction and, and see cole like that is like such an unfortunate thing around the criminalization of this plant and and I, there's zero justification for that. So like that's not what I'm going to do here. But I'm going to turn the, the 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 conversation back to access, opportunity, and the ability for people to make money in the industry. For Limited sure. licenses precludes people of color and people of underrepresented backgrounds to make money. I guarantee you that person who was on the, uh, the other side of that argument in the previous conversation, if they didn't have a limited license, if they didn't have one of those licenses, that's not the tune they'd be singing, right? So, so they, they, they don't want any more licenses. They don't want anyone else getting in the game because they want to protect 
um, this monopolistic approach to the industry, right? Where, you know, we saw how that happened, right? In 1980, Jimmy Carter, um, uh, killed regulation regulations on home brewing and people yeah. were able to start home brewing. Right. And at that time, there's only 96 breweries in the country. Now, how many breweries are there? Right. That didn't stop Bud Light and Coors Light and Miller Light from doing good. It just, it just created space for the half acres of the world to pop up. Right. And, yeah. and so, so, you know, we need to be in this, we need to be in this mindset that, you know, a, a limited license model is anti-capitalistic. And if, we're, if we want to live in a capitalist society, then we have to promote capitalism at all turns, not only when it benefits us. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And I mean, I completely agree with that. Like, that's why I love the case you're trying to make. And that's what's interesting about it, because what what LaShawn Ford's proposal is, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's the idea. That if you, OK, good. Uh, yeah. For folks that are listening, um, it's the idea that, you know, you can. We're trying to make legislation where uh, there would be a 21 uh, plus age requirement, which most of these companies that I'm familiar with are already enforcing their their ID check. Yeah. Um, labeling, which again, something that you know at least Plift does. Oh, sorry, you can kind of see the labeling here on the side. Yeah. There's a QR code. Um, many other companies that I'm aware of of do you know uh, not only potency testing but uh, you know quality testing. Um, but this would be legally required now. And so, yeah. um, in other words, it's kind of a, you know, an open license approach for hemp derived cannabinoids. Well, and it seems like that's what they sure. have an issue with, you know? Yeah, for sure. But what, what it also does is it also takes a page and an executable page out of some of the other legislation we've seen in that the tax revenue associated with this goes to a fund to help fund upstart um, businesses for people of color, ex-felons to, to participate in the industry. So, so there's that, right? There's obviously the, 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 the part where we as operators, we as, as businesses pay our fair share of, of taxes on, on revenue, right? Sales taxes. And, and that's, that, that, again, like that's table stakes for me and Glenn in our business because we, we want to operate above board. Like our aspiration is to be the Coca-Cola, the Bud Light, of the THC beverage space. And in order to do that, you got to do it in a, in a, in the, in the public eye. And we're okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess just, uh, one, one other thought with regard to, um, you know, limited licenses, I was going to play this quote during the, um, interview himself, the, the interview itself, but it just didn't, we didn't get the opportunity. So this is just about a minute long clip and it's actually from one of the participants uh, in the debate, um, he, I was actually referencing him earlier. Uh, you know, he's a friend of mine, Akili, uh, like I say, a corporate attorney. Um, and he's been on the podcast a few times now. This is what he had to say about the difference between limited licenses and open licenses are from a business and consumer perspective. A from the consumer's perspective, a limited license market generally is not a good thing. So I'll yeah. say that. So like for the consumer is like, it's better to have tons of competition. I think in general, um, although maybe there's an argument for it still, but you know, tons of competition or at least tons of licenses. And then the best folks sort of like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they win, other folks get shaken out. Um, 
from a wealth building perspective, it's better to have a limited license market because then the license is intrinsically valuable. Whereas if it's like anybody can get it, there's no like intrinsic value to um, the license, uh, no economic value, no you know, intrinsic economic value to the license. Um, but when there's only like 10 or 20, you can ensure that at least whoever gets them can at least make some money. And there's a certain amount of competitive advantage you have where, you know, like we're in the market we're in now, you can only go to so many places. And so it's not great for the consumer because then the prices are kind of high, everything else. But for the business, it's like, you know, we can almost not go out of business because you can only go so many places that you got to come here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he, he nailed it. Like, that's exactly it. Right. And so this is the, this is the tension, right? If you're, if you're for limited licenses, you're not for equity. You're not, you're not for social equity. You, you just can't be right. And what these people are afraid of is a free market. The consumers get to decide to his point. Consumer choice decides the winners and losers. Right now, the MedRec license market, you only have so many options, right? The only, the only thing that precludes, you know, full monopolistic behavior in a, you know, sunny side dispensary versus, a, you know, a, you know, a Zen leaf dispensary is that they have rules and regs written, that, written in that I think 20% of your inventory has to be from brands other than yours. Right. Right. So what do they do? All those MSOs co-op each other's brands. They're all in the, each other's 20%, right? That, that, that's not, that's impacting consumer. The consumer has limited choice, right? These guys and these, these licenses, these, these people with these licenses, they want limited choice because that means you've got to buy from them if you want to Bingo. buy it legally. That's yeah, exactly. That's that part of that quote that I think stands out to me is that it's not so great for the consumer because the prices are kind of high and everything else. But for the business, it's like we can almost not go out of business because you can only go to so many places that you have to come here. Right. And the sad part about that is let's just say I win a license and I get to be a licensed product, right? So I get to build it. I get a license to build a gummy brand, right? Then even if I have a license to build a gummy brand on my own, I have to rely on the, the, the big guys to put me on their shelves. And yeah. let's be honest here. There's, I don't know. I think I could, I could tell you the exact number if you gave me a second. Um, but well, give me a second. Cause I'm going to tell you the exact number. Cause I don't want to, I don't want someone to call me out for misquoting something here. So, but I have a. Yeah. Take your time. There's approximately, give or take now, this is not a, it, approximately 7,000 dispensaries in the country today. That's 7,000 stores that you can potentially sell your gummy in if you're a license holder. Well, guess what? I'm a license holder in Illinois. That's not 7,000 in Illinois. There's a few hundred in Illinois, right? So my, my pool of success shrinks, you know, drastically the, you know, the, the, the smaller the marketplace gets. Whereas in hemp, we can sell Pliff right now in over a million retailers in the country. Right. Well, so, so I'm going to talk. If, yeah, okay. go ahead. No, you got it. No, I was just going to say, so again, if we want to talk about building of wealth, building of opportunity, yeah. creating access, you know, <laughs> you can, you can start to see the math doesn't work 
in this limited license capacity because you, 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 there's just a finite of distribution points. There's a finite number of places where where uh, uh, aspiring entrepreneur can win. Right. So uh, just to play devil's advocate, they uh, and I know you've kind of already addressed this a few different ways. You just did it with that point, but they they argue that social equity is market share. That's how they define it. And they define, yeah. So then I would, ask them, I, would ask them, I would ask them to say, okay, of the 2% of cannabis businesses owned by people of color, how is that equitable? 13% of the population is, is, is black, brown, or underrepresented, 13%. So if we want to just do simple, simple math, wouldn't social equity, wouldn't equitable distribution in industry be 13%? 13%. If the population is 13% black, people yeah. of color, African-American, wouldn't social equity in an industry equate to 13% of the license holders, 13% of the businesses being African-American owned? That would be I, equity. Yeah, I follow your logic, but I think they, what they'll say, and even the state of Illinois, I could pull up their Instagram right now. They like to point when they like say something like 60% black ownership, something like that. Even though it's a small yeah. number of licenses, they like to be able to say, well, pretty, you know. Pretty sure pretty sure Illinois opened up a $2.5 million investigation and lawsuit into social equity disparities and issues. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that, I think that dropped sometime last year. So, I mean, again, like... Tomato, tomato. 60% is a great number, but 60% of 10 is six people. Yeah. Well, and I like to say that like, okay, 60%, but but how many of those are open right now? How are they doing? Right? How many of them will ever open? How many will ever open? And I just, you know, they talk, people from Illinois talk shit about Oklahoma or Michigan and stuff. And I was like, say what you will, but... If you're ready to go, you can go online, pay for a license, and have it that night, and and then do your local ordinance stuff and and open up shop. Michigan, Michigan's after. probably Michigan. People would people would argue that Michigan's probably the best operating state right now. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because Illinois no, again, people like even our governor point to states like that and say it's a failure they say uh you know they've issued so many licenses i can even play a quote i'm not saying i agree with this todd i just i think it's important to take on yeah, these no. points um he's said like you know to people that have said i'll try to find the clip right now but to people that have said uh we've issued we haven't issued enough licenses and uh everything else he says we have issued the number of licenses that we've we've had so that equity can occur by limiting the number of licenses, he says, we're ensuring that I'm just totally going off the top of my head right now because I can't find the video. Um, by ensuring the number of licenses here, actually, I found the video. Let's watch it. And I want you to be able to respond to, to this, if you could, please, because this is what the advocates yeah. say. They're parroting his like yeah, basically his logic. Right. So. 
we've limited the number of licensees in part because we wanted to make sure that the social equity licensees had a fair shot in the industry and they weren't just edged out to the very end uh, and by you know having too many dispensaries in the market so that people can't make money uh, entrepreneurs who open places like uh, Ivy Hall so uh, so I'm I'm you know in many ways I, I think that the what you all uh, view as a you know as a slow plotting process is also one that uh, ends up with um, you know the the right uh, um, regulation and the right laws in place and the industry growing at a pace that will allow social equity to take place within <laughs> the entire cannabis industry, which is one of the purposes of it. Sorry, it's just funny to hear that. What? How do you respond to that? I've got another clip where he says that shorter, but uh, what? How do you respond? To you that? don't have to. You, you don't have to play it. I can appreciate JB as a politician now. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's look at his donor his donor role and see how many of the corporate guys are on the donor role, right? Like I, I can appreciate what he's trying to say, but the reality of it is is that when you when you have a licensed model and the cost to apply and the rigor to apply and the legal fees to apply are so cumbersome that it discourages and precludes people of applying, there's no way it's equitable. Make it 500 to $1,000 a year, a license, like a liquor license, you gotta renew every so much time and you have to meet these criteria and stay in good standing to keep operating. That way, your your ability, your business acumen, you can actually launch your business and see if you have the acumen to succeed. But right now, there's so few people who even get a, can get a seat at the table, can get a ticket into the movie. You know, it, it's fucking laughable, Cole. Like, like and, and like, unfortunately, you know, and, and this is what bothers me, is that they tell people especially communities of color, the shit they want to hear. And I got news for you. No political party has ever delivered on the promise that they made to the people of color, not the Republicans and not the Dems. And so I expect him and I applaud him. He's got to say that. But the reality of it is, is like, if we believe in, in capitalism and we believe in free markets, then make the market quote unquote free make the fees in the license process nominal, right? And then I have to continue to prove that I'm in good standing, that I've paid my taxes, that I'm not laid on, you know, my insurance, that, you know, I'm not being sued for sexual harassment, all the other things that you need to do to be a good operator anyways. But, and then let me operate and build a business and let the market decide if they want to succeed. Like, look, you don't say, I mean, you go down any street in Chicago right now, you go down Chicago Avenue, westbound, you tell me how many taquerias you see between, you know, right. fucking East Bank Club and, you know, California Avenue. Right. You, well, the, you didn't have an issue giving all them food license, bingo. right? So it's like, it's like when you say we want to keep limited license so everyone can be successful, that's not true. Because you would you would say there's only gonna, we're only going to allow fifty taquerias in Chicago. We're only going to allow fifty Italian restaurants in Chicago because we want every Italian restaurant to be successful. You don't do that. You're doing it in this in this specific industry because you're trying to create space for the elite to carve out and own the business and own the market. Yeah, 
And that's the, that's a brutal and honest truth. Yeah. Like, so your restaurant example earlier, we all, everybody accepts that in the first five years, 80% of restaurants go out of business, but nobody's arguing for license limitations on restaurants. Exactly. Um, exactly. So yeah, well, well said. Um, I, you know, I'm just going to read this quote by him. He's, it's basically the same thing. He says, the reality is that by holding back, we've left a portion of the market still available for social equity license holders so that when they enter the industry, when they enter the industry, they enter it in a profitable way. I'm proud of that. It would be easy to just allow existing systems rooted in tradition to leave people out. It would be okay. just easy to do it the old-fashioned way to come into existence as they always have. It's much, much harder to build something that is making a difference and pushing against the grains of the past. But that's what we're doing here in Illinois, and I'm proud of it. Sorry, I just, right. uh, you know, I know I've no, been hit. No, I mean, listen, I can applaud the political speak, but again, why can't there be room for hemp-derived cannabinoids and low-potency THE-derived hemp? And dispensaries right there's a you can you can buy bud light yeah in a convenience store you can also buy in a liquor store in some in some states in some places you can buy a bottle of fireball in a convenience store and also a liquor store right there's a reason why you have higher octane like in texas a great example they have beer stores and they have liquor stores right beer stores you get beer and wine liquor stores you can only get liquor and wine why is that because they wanted the higher potency stuff in a different environment. So the, the easy model is similar to what Minnesota's doing. Yeah. 10 milligrams, you know, five milligrams per serving, 10 milligrams in a container can be consumed anywhere where 21 and up, I, you know, age gating is, is being done, right? You want something more potent than that? You want a dad, you want, you know, uh, you know, your 75 mil drink, go find that somewhere else. Go, go to a dispensary. That's what they're, they're good for. But, but there's, there's no reason why the two can exist together. And if you talk to hemp folks, hemp folks are the ones that say that. It's the marijuana guys who don't want the hemp folks to exist. They want to be able to sell CBN in their gummies, but they're the only ones that should be able to sell it. Right. Anyone who doesn't see that as a problem is part of the problem. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this. Do you think that Illinois... And just I'm because I'm worried that this is going to catch on, you know, like this definition of equity. Do you think we just have equity defined wrong? Because like I feel like equity in Illinois is incompatible with equality, which is what you're looking for. Equal access. I mean. You know, is that fair? Equity. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I think I think so. I know the, the difference between equality and equity, but I think in this in I this don't. regard, the two. <laughs> The I two don't. can be interchangeable, right? Yeah. I mean, equality is equal shot. Equity is equitable shot. Meaning if I'm standing, if I'm six feet tall and you're five feet tall, you get a 12 inch box to stand on. Okay. So we're equitable height. Okay. Thank right? you. Yep. So, so I think those two things are interchangeable in this regard, right? Like I, I think they can be used. Um, they both can be used, but again, like, when you create an industry that is that you say we're the most equitable in the country and this, that, and the other, but the barrier of entry is so high by default, people who should have a ticket to the, to the game 
are disqualified because they can't afford the ticket. So if we want to talk about equitable access and you know equity and access, make the ticket a, a price where you have to pay for it so that you pay it enough that you care, right? $1,000 for your license and it has to be renewed every year or whatever it is. Make it so you care and you operate in a place of goodwill and good faith. But, you know, most people in this country can scrape together a thousand bucks, you know, borrow, go sell some candy bars, sell some water, you know, get their friend to go in on it with them, whatever it is. Like most people can come up with a thousand bucks. And I'm using that because it's a round number that people can wrap their head around. That to me creates a platform for true access. And I'll tell you the, the, the bill that, that rep Ford and that crew um, put out is a great bill. It's a great bill for marijuana and it's a great bill for hemp. I mean, sure. I, I think in any good piece of legislation, you know, your party feels like you maybe didn't get everything you wanted or deserved. Right. But you know, you got a lot. And if the other party feels the same way, then the chances are that that's a good piece of legislation. I think that everyone I've talked to, um, that's, that's looked at it and, you know, myself and Glenn included think it's, it's, it's a, a definite, uh, step in, in the absolute right direction. And it puts Illinois on the map as the best state to be in. I'll use it. The cannabis industry, hemp and marijuana. Nice. Nice. Hell yeah. And I guess that's, this is a good note to maybe wrap up on. Um, sure. Uh, you made this point, uh, maybe Glenn made it, but I, I don't know. Um, can is active in um, Minnesota and they have ties to GTI. Yep. Then of course, yep. cookies is selling there. I have you ever heard they've got the like big THCA website now and they're selling all their THCA. Yeah. 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 I, it, yeah and can, I brought can up on the last, the last pod. So yeah. Yeah. So my thing is these operators, these big operators, these really well-known operators for better, or for worse, um, see the value in this so it's interesting that in some cases you'd think you'd think it's like they're probably going to try to argue for that control but i get sorry what just to try to throw it out there like i I brought that up because i feel like it really lends a lot of credibility to your side again they see yeah. like they see so i'll give you an example i i can i can speak directly to this so i know for fact that cookies has a large hemp business they do. And good for them. I, I, I love to hear it. I love to see it. Again, like I think Burner's doing a really think, smart thing with that company and they're creating access. They're getting people of color excited about the industry and, and, and giving them ways to get in. Love it. Right. As it pertains to Can, really good product. Have some friends over there. They started in the licensed markets. Clift started in hemp markets. Can is one of the top sellers in Minnesota. There is no licensed dispensaries open. They're selling a hemp-derived THC product in Minnesota. They're competing one-to-one -one with us. And so, if and they, to your point, they're backed by GTI. GTI made a significant investment in them. If hemp is so uh, dangerous, like a lot of these um, corporate cannabis, corporate marijuana proponents would say, why are their own brands and products playing in the space? Yeah. Right. If, if it's not, if there's no value in it, if it doesn't drive consumer value and the consumer's value is derived from coming to a dispensary that's completely out of my traditional um, pattern of life and 
it you know is is very expensive and and inconvenient if if if, if it's that's the only chain of value then why are they selling can in liquor stores and grocery stores and convenience stores and restaurants and in bars in Minnesota right next to Plip? The answer is that's hypocrisy. Right. That's hypocrisy. So when you hear that, when you hear that level of hypocrisy, you have to ask yourself, why? Why would they do that? Well, they do it because, or why are they doing what they're doing right now? Well, because they don't want competition. That's the reason why they want to do away with hemp. They've, they've got licensed market beverages operating, but they're doing, they're doing way more volume in Minnesota than they're doing anywhere else. So again, they wouldn't willingly or knowingly participate in an industry that's not safe, would they? Right. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the the other most convincing points that that I wish I would have leaned into and brought up uh, more of, because I think one of the people that were arguing that you know dispensaries should be able to sell everything like the only thing that should be sold outside of uh dispensaries i think they were saying is cbd everything else must be dispensary like you know and but he mentioned he was a former rep of cookies i believe if i'm remembering correctly so i thought i would be interested to ask him and i'm sure he'd be up to come back on the show what he thinks about cookies selling you know like i say well, several intoxicating products and they're going tell, to tell, Alabama, Arkansas, you know, North Carolina, Oklahoma, all these illegal states. <laughs> tell tell Bud Light that they can only sell Bud Light in 7-Eleven. Right. See what I'm saying? It's like, True. you know, in, in a conversation I was having with a legislator in Illinois, he actually said it best. And the words were simple. Why would we let Popeyes regulate Chick-fil-A? And when yeah. you think about it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. So why, why, why are we going to allow dispensaries and the, and the corporate cannabis food chain supply chain be the only places you can get the minor cannabinoids, right? Well, number one, it's, it's called a monopoly and AT&T and Southwestern Bell got broken up over it because it's, it, it's, it's a practice that tends to be and have adverse effects on customers, consumers. They don't have choice, right? But here we are having a conversation in an emerging industry, which people of color are being left behind by the day. And we're arguing if we should limit access and choice. To me, there's no more hypocritical position happening right now. It, it's unbelievable. And the fact that you know people who claim to be, you know, for the people don't see it that way is wild to me. It's truly wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, um, Todd, I want to just give you, uh, you know, plenty of space, anything that you'd like to close on anything that we didn't maybe perhaps mention that you, you know, thought you might want to mention on the air tonight. I just appreciate you, man. Like, I think you, what you're doing and you taking the risk with the cold memo and going out there and creating a space for real open and honest and frankly, hard conversations to be had. Um, kudos to you, man. Like that's, that's hard and it's thankless. And I know you probably eat your fair, you know, fair share of shit sandwiches because of it. And so, yeah. you know, I appreciate it. I, I know, you know, Glenn appreciates it and the industry at large should appreciate it because again, I'm happy to have my, my, my position challenged. Um, but I can tell you that I haven't, I haven't seen one person 
give me a real, real um, challenging position that makes me double take on mine. Yeah. Well said, dude. Well said. I always like to say that, you know, I'd like to sit down with people that I disagree with. For example, I had somebody on that believes that cannabis shouldn't be legal at all, right? They <laughs> lobby. And I and I say, you know, I like to sit down with people that I might disagree with because I am confident in what I believe in. And, you know, if you do happen to get me with something that makes me rethink my position, I will be cool. honest about it, you know? Yeah, and, I, and I'll rethink it. Like, yeah. I will tell you right now, Glenn and I have conversations all the time that I have to rethink my position. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, open, I'm open to, you know, new lines of thought and yeah. and you know new new ways of thinking and and bettering not only this this industry but society but i stand by it like Hell yeah. you, as someone who started in that space and is now in the hemp space and is growing a business and employing people i can tell you if i was in that space i would have died on the vine trying and i and i know me and glenn know what we're doing yeah imagine if you didn't know what you're doing but you just had the dream and the hope and the aspiration to do this thing yeah so well- Todd, thank you for find, saying. find someone who can change that mind. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the kind words. I just wanted to say that. And, um, you know, you, got it, man. You, you know, the space is always open for you. I look forward to having you back on in the future and and I look forward to what you, what you all roll out. Um, yeah. so yeah, we'll get you some Pliff plus samples here shortly. Sweet, sweet. Cool. Well, folks, uh, it's pliff.com perfectly dough. What was the other one? We'll have it in the description, but so you got yeah. Pliff, you got Pliff, Pliff, Pliff.com at drink Plift on the socials. You got perfectly dose.com and at, at perfectly dose on the socials. Cool. Cool folks. Check it out. So it's good stuff. I've been drinking it this whole podcast. It's Thank you, brother. Yep. Take care, everybody. Bye.